Acts 17 in your Bibles tonight, Acts 17, and you're going to want to grab your outlines tonight. Is there anybody that didn't happen to grab one? You need one run to you. You're going to want that tonight. So Acts chapter 17, and we'll read one verse, and then we'll pray, and then we'll look at Acts 17 together. And I won't have you stand only because we're going to read the entire chapter, Acts 17. And I know the time. I know when the Super Bowl starts. I don't care, <laughs> but no, I do. I, I, I won't go too long tonight, but we're starting early, the preaching, so that's a good indicator, perhaps. Maybe not, but an indicator of when I'll stop. Second Timothy 4.2, um, why don't we stand to read this verse? I feel bad to have you sitting. Let's, let's stand and read Second Timothy 4.2, and let's read it out loud together, and this is on the very front of your outline as well, this verse, Second Timothy 4.2. All right, I'll give you a second to find that. And okay, 2 Timothy 4, 2, let's read it out loud together. Ready, begin. Preach the word. Be instant, in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. The title tonight is Preach the Word. Lord, I pray that you would please be with me as I preach the word. I pray that no matter what, the culture does, or what other churches do, that you would have us to be faithful till you come to preach the word. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Thank you for standing. In Acts 17, I'd like you to read a little bit lengthy of a portion of Scripture, but I'd like you to read this, Paul's travels here, and I want you to see the model that Paul gives us. He is obeying Christ in preaching. Acts chapter 17, verse number 1, the Bible says, now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scripture. Now, in the Bible, the word preach is often in there, and there's also other words to introduce a sermon. Paul is preaching. He's preaching as in the person-on-person preaching. When Philip got up into that chariot this morning and he preached to that eunuch, he didn't say, okay, open your Bibles and come to him. Then he had three points and he just was talking. He was proclaiming forth the word of God. So that's preaching. So that's what he did. Verse three, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas and of the devout Greeks and a great multitude and of the chief women, not a few. I'll mention it later in the outline, but notice how many times in this chapter it says, after Paul preached, some of them believed. And that always happens. Some believe. Verse 5, But the Jews, which believe not, moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort, and gathered a company, and set all the city on an uproar, and assaulted the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also, whom Jason hath received. And these all do contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, one Jesus. By the way, there is another king, one Jesus. They were right. And they troubled the people and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. And when they had taken security of Jason and of the other, they let them go. And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily, whether those things were so. If you're looking for a verse to memorize 
and you should always be working on a verse or two, that's, that's your next verse right there. That's a great verse. When I was a teenager, my pastor said that in passing, just exactly like I just did, you should memorize that verse. And I wrote it on a three by five card and I stuck it up in my room and I memorized it because this is how you and I ought to be. When the preacher gets in there, we receive it with all readiness of mind and then search the scriptures daily whether those things were so. So you have a wide open heart when the preacher preaches, and then you go home and you're in the Bible every day checking it out. You don't just take the preacher's word for it, although you receive it readily, you get in the word of God yourself. Verse 12, therefore, many of them believed also of honorable women, which are Greeks and of men, not a few. But when the Jews of Thessalonica had knowledge that the word of God was preached of Paul at Berea, they came thither also and stirred up the people. And then immediately the brethren sent away Paul to go as it were to the sea. But Silas and Timotheus abode there still. And they that conducted Paul brought him unto Athens. And receiving a commandment unto Silas and Timotheus for to come to him with all speed, they departed. Now, while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Now, pause right there. Our culture, our world is wholly given to idolatry. There was a recent Gallup poll, and in it, 50% of Americans say in their own estimation, they would rank the moral values of America as poor. 78% think that the moral values of our country are getting worse. The Grammy Awards were last week. How many of you watched? Don't put your hand up. I hope none of you watched the Grammy Awards, okay? We didn't watch them. We've never seen them before, but of course, it was all the rage in the news. The Grammy Awards is where, if you don't know, you might not know, they give out awards annually for music. And if you've searched music lately, popular music, you get on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon, you look at the most listened to tracks in America, the world, whatever, most of them, 99% of them are straight garbage straight garbage, uh, idolatry, talking about adultery, fornication, drinking, not good for you, not good at all. It is from Satan. Satan's expertise is music. He has built in pipes and tabrets. He was the anointed cherub. He's good at it. He's really good. It sounds good, right? That's why people get hooked on it. It is not good. It's not good for you. But in that award ceremony, there were two men. One person doesn't identify as a man anymore, but these two men in an openly immoral lifestyle they sang a song, I've not heard it, I don't recommend you, you listen to it, but a song called Unholy. In it, one of the men dressed like the devil. And I'm not just saying that like a preacher, he dressed like he was trying to look like the devil with horns and everything, and it was all these red lights, I saw a picture of it. It's, uh, it's not subtle how unholy and how wicked, our, and it, they got an award probably, I think, but it's, it's not subtle how immoral our society and culture is, our city, our nation is wholly given to idolatry. And Paul was waiting here and all he did was look around and his spirit back in verse 16 was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. And so he didn't go uh, um, on a uh, community revitalization. He didn't organize things. He didn't write a letter to his congressman. Here was the solution. Verse 17, therefore, disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons and in the market daily with them that met with him. Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and of the Stoics encountered him. And some said, what will this babbler say? They thought they were better than him. Others, some, 
He seemeth to be a setter forth of strange gods because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. When he saw a problem, do you know what Paul did? He preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection because that is the solution for the mess that we're in today. Verse 19, and they took him and brought him unto Areopagus, saying, may we know what this new doctrine whereof thou speakest is? For thou bringest certain strange things to our ears, we would know therefore what these things mean. Because, look, at this is why, verse 21, for all the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. By the way, I say our culture is... It's always been like this. Everybody wants to hear something new, something clever, something different. Even uh, good independent Baptists who grow up in church start to wander and think, well, there must be something more than just the Bible. There must be something better. Maybe there's something I don't understand about the Bible, and they wander. In verse 22, then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, and here's, here's what follows, is a sermon. And Paul, I just love, I love boldness in the Bible people who knew what they believed and boldly proclaimed. He said, ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship. Him declare I unto you, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshiped with men's hands as though he needed anything seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on the face of the earth and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation that they should seek the Lord if happily they might feel after him and find him though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being as certain also of your own poets have said for we are also his offspring. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone graven by art and man's device. And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men in that he hath raised him from the dead. You see what he did? He preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection of the dead. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. And others said, we will hear thee again in this matter. So Paul departed from among them. Howbeit certain men clave unto him and believed. Among them was Dionysius, the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. Some did believe. God has ordained preaching to be the means by which we proclaim the gospel to the unsaved world. Titus 1.3 says, he hath in due times manifested his word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God, our Savior. 1 Corinthians 1.21 says, for after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. I believe in the primacy of preaching. That means that preaching is the most important thing we do in a church service. You might have visited another denomination of church, maybe one of the old denominations or something, and they'll have the pulpit over here or up here or somewhere, and they'll have the uh, sacrament um, thing here in the middle. And uh, that's, that's because the pulpit and preaching the Word of God is minimized, and then the Eucharist or whatever they do in the middle is the main thing. Here we've got the pulpit in the middle, not because it's about the man, because it's about the message, the Word of God 
preaching. Preaching is the most important part. What is preaching? There are five, or excuse me, four Greek words in the Bible. I don't know if I could fit these in your notes or not. Do you have these? Caruso? Do you have that in your notes? No? Okay. I had to cut a lot of things <laughs> to get it all in there. Uh, Caruso, there's four. There's Caruso, which means to proclaim as a herald, which is what I'm doing. There's eugelizo, which is to tell good news. That's to evangelize. There's katangelo, is to tell thoroughly. There's leleo, and that's to talk. So when you see preaching in the Bible, and you can usually tell from the context, sometimes it's like I'm doing right now to a big group of people. Sometimes it's one-on-one. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. That's soul winning. That's one-on-one. All you ladies, you thought that you could never be a preacher because the Bible says, suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority in the church. Shouldn't be a preach. The bishop is to be a man. But you know, you're supposed to be a preacher. And that is one-on-one telling people about Jesus all the time, everywhere. We believe in preaching in the church. We believe in preaching one-on-one. G. Campbell Morgan said, preaching is the proclamation of the word. The truth as the truth has been revealed. Another person, I I talked about D.L. Moody this morning. He said, preaching is my human lips filled with the word of God. Bernard Manning said, preaching is a manifestation of the incarnate word, which would be Jesus, from the written word by the spoken word. I like that one. I'm gonna do it again. A manifestation of the incarnate word from the written word by the spoken word, preaching. Another person said, preaching is a ministry of the spirit and the word through a yielded servant. When God needed revival for Nineveh, do you know what he did? He sent a preacher. God said to Jonah, arise and go unto Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. Preaching is this. It's a proclamation of the truth of the word of God in the spirit of God and applying it to the listener. The big difference, somebody might ask, what's the difference between preaching and teaching? Teaching and preaching are similar in that they're sharing truth. Teaching is interesting. I think I am a teacher by nature. I enjoy teaching people things. I like that. But preaching is a little bit different. Preaching calls for decision. Preaching has an application. Teaching doesn't have an application, but preaching always has this, therefore. Preaching always has a therefore. There's an application. Many churches across America would agree that authoritative preaching of the word of God is important. But it seems that there is little actual emphasis on preaching. As you look across the spectrum, uh, and I'm not picking on anybody. We are an independent Baptist church. Uh, we are self-governing. We also leave other people alone, okay? So it, nobody else's church is my business. But it seems like preaching has begun to be minimized as you look across the church landscape. Evening churches are scarce. Uh, Sunday nights are canceled. Prayer meetings are canceled. Anything we can do to get away from gathering around the Word of God and hearing it preached. Um, Some preaching services, instead of those, maybe we'll do a home group and more about probably donuts than the preaching of the Word of God. And I'm all for donuts. The more donuts, the merrier. We should have a line of donuts right here. But I'm talking about this. Anything that we can do to get away from the preaching of the Word of God. Maybe some other churches, they might have three services a week, as is tradition. I understand it's tradition. But in those sermons, you might find somebody who says he's a Bible preacher, but it would be very little the dissemination of the Word of God, a lot of soapbox, a lot of this is what I think, and this is the current events, this is what people are saying, and I'm going to talk about this and that. But, but what I'm talking about is what we need is Christ preached and the resurrection, the Word of God preached. And here at Calvary Baptist Church, 
we aim to see the lost saved, the church matured at the same time. Our model here is that both lost and saved people will, he found the switch after all that communication. Great, you turned that off so you won't hear anymore in the microphone. Thank you. Uh, We expect that lost people will be in our service. We expect that saved people will be in our service. We want to see the seasoned saints grown. We want to see people that are not saved, stirred, touched by the Holy Spirit. A successful service is this. When Christ is magnified, the lost are evangelized, and the church is edified. Now, that's a tall order. How can all that be done at one time, at the same time, in one sitting? God has given us the method, and it is preaching. Tonight, I declare unto you that Calvary Baptist Church is and will continue to be a place where the Word of God is preached. Tonight, I'd like to show you, number one in your notes, what we preach. What we preach. Letter A, we preach Christ. If you're in Acts 17, look at the beginning, verse number three, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus, whom I preach unto you, is Christ. This is a Bible preaching, a gospel preaching church. Everywhere in the Bible. Now, if I was going to preach a a college course, or excuse me, teach a college course on Jonah or or uh, Job or something, I might not get around to talking about Jesus every, I I probably would because I'm a preacher before a teacher, but I might not get around to talking about Jesus at every single class because we're deep in the text and all of that. But here, when we open the word of God, we make a beeline for the Lord Jesus Christ. Everywhere, whether I'm in Isaiah or 1 Samuel or 1 Peter or Revelation, it is all about Jesus. 1 Corinthians one twenty three says, but we preach Christ crucified. Unto the Jews, a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks, foolishness. 2 Corinthians 4, 5, for we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus, the Lord. Now, why is that? Because only in Jesus do you and I have hope. The only way that you can offer any hope or any resolution for the wickedness that you see on TV and in public and and uh, homes can't stay together, and people can't stay pure, and people can't stay on the straight and narrow and clean, and, and they're, they're a slave to addiction. What can you offer them? You can offer them Jesus. Jesus gives us hope. Christ and the resurrection. Because the power of Christ lives in us, I don't have to be bound to those sins anymore. When you tell somebody about the resurrection, you're not just telling them a good story about how a person died and then rose again. You're telling them that that same power that raised the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead can save you and now sustain you. You know, when you get saved, the living Christ lives within you. The Holy Spirit indwells you. You no longer have to be a slave to sin. In fact, Romans 6 tells us we're dead to sin. So when we preach, we preach Christ. Colossians 1.28, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. 1 Corinthians 15, 14, and if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain and your faith is also vain. So what do we preach here? We preach Christ. Letter B, we preach the word, the word, the word of God. I am not a creative person. If I have a good illustration, it's because I happen to have lived it or I read it somewhere But when I get up to preach, I am completely confident because I'm going to be preaching, thus saith the Lord. Just this right here. I like to go verse by verse because I can't think of what else to do. Tonight, we're a little more topical talking about the subject of preaching. 
but we preach the word of God. If I say something and it doesn't come from the word of God and it can't be proven from the word of God, I give you permission to take it or leave it, okay? Because I'm just a preacher of the word of God and we're to preach the word. In Acts 17, when he got there, Paul, in verse number two, his manner was, he went into them and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the scriptures. Later on in verse 13, the word of God was preached to Paul at Berea. 2 Timothy 4, 2 when uh, Paul was trying to encourage Timothy and his young pastorate there, he said, here's what you do, Timothy, preach the word. And that's how we preach Christ. We preach Christ by preaching the word. In Luke 24, 27, Jesus, beginning at Moses and all the prophets, all the prophets, all of them, the whole Bible, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Jesus said in John 5, 39, he said, search the scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life and they are they which testify of me. Now, I'd like to say this a little bit about the word. We preach from the inspired word, the inspired word. The Bible says that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. You know what that word inspiration means? It means God breathed the very words. What we're reading is not just an interesting uh, inspiration as Beethoven was inspired to write a symphony or Shakespeare was inspired to write a sonnet or whatever. We are talking about God-breathed manuscript. God used holy men of God to write down exactly word for word what God wanted them to say. That's what we preach from. First Peter 1, this is all in your notes, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. We preach from the inspired word. This is the God-given word. It's the God-breathed word. I say this as well, it's the perfect word. I have right here a Bible in my hands that contains zero errors. It is the complete word. It's everything that you need, everything God will ever give you, everything you ever need to know about anything is contained between Genesis 1 and Revelation, I think, 22, right? Uh, That's the word of God right here. It's a perfect word. John 17, 17, sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is is truth. It does not just contain the word of God. It is the very word of God. Jesus said uh, in Matthew 4, 4, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. You will never hear me stand up here and correct the Bible to you. You'll never hear me say, well, probably a better rendering would be this, or this is not in the majority of manuscripts or so forth such nonsense. John Wesley said, if there be one mistake in the Bible, there may as well be a thousand. I was listening to a song this week, and it's a, I love the preacher songs, the songs with meat on their bones. Uh, It goes like this. Some will gladly take the scriptures that'll fit their choosing. Others think the harder parts are worthy of removing. But every word is from the mouth of God, divinely given. And I believe that what it means is just the way it's written. There is joy and comfort to believe it can be trusted. The more that I obey its law, the more I find I love it. There's nothing that can ever shake it. It'll stand forever. It tells the story of God's grace. Oh, what a priceless treasure. This is the chorus. I'll take it like it is and seek to know what God is saying. And when my life falls short, it's me who needs to do the changing. His holy word is where I learn the truth the spirit gives. God meant it when he said it, and I'll take it like it is. We're one of those psycho churches that takes the Bible literally. A lot of those churches nowadays, they, 
uh, don't judge you. And I just read this on a church's uh, in Shelby, their mission statement, doctoral statement. We don't judge you uh, based on your lifestyle. A lot of things they said, but one of the things was uh, how you interpret scripture. That's your business, how you interpret scripture. It's not your business. I mean, that it, there is one way to interpret scripture and that is literally. Unless it's obviously meant to be figurative and God explains it like a vision or a prophecy or something. If God says it, that's what it means. That's what it means. We, are, we understand the Bible literal because it's inspired. It's perfect. If God wanted to say it differently, he would have. And it is the preserved word of God. I'll be unambiguous. We believe that the authorized King James version of the Bible is God's preserved word for the English-speaking people. At the height of the English language, when it was at its most precise, when the greatest minds in the world were devoted not to tech, not to engineering, but to languages, God put together dozens of the brightest men in their field in the world, and over a period of several years, they translated from the received text, not the critical text, where most of the later translations come from the corrupted text, from the, and we won't get into all this, but the corrupted manuscripts, the Alexandrian text, the West Cotton Horse text, the Nestles Allen text, heretics, every one of them, they didn't believe in the deity of Christ, the virgin birth, that the major Old Testament characters even existed. That's where we get most of our translations nowadays. Or if they come from the received text, they are taken with a dynamic equivalency approach, not a formal equivalency that the King James Bible came from. They translate the thoughts, not the words. But Jesus said, man shall live by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. I will share with you my heart. I'm disappointed when I look at some people that I used to look up to, evangelists, pastors, who used to preach that the King James Bible was the word of God. And now you listen to them talk about the issue and they sort of ridicule it. And they say, well, I've got four or five versions that I like. Listen, if I am going to live and die by a book, I better know what it says. And I better be able to say, this is the truth. Because I'll be honest with you, you can go online, it's open source, there's plenty of sites that give you, you type in a Bible verse and they give you five or six translations. They don't say the same thing. They don't say the same thing. And if I am going to stake my eternity and I am going to literally be willing to die for the truth, I better know what the truth is. And I better be able to tell my flock as the shepherd, what is the truth? Well, it's whatever you think. And don't say the same thing. The King James Version of the Bible, I believe with all my heart, is the preserved word of God for the English-speaking people today. And that's a great comfort to me. And I don't, I'm not arrogant in that, but I'm very confident in that. And I can be bold in that because that's how you and I are to preach. How in the world could we preach in power and with boldness if we weren't really sure if what we were preaching was the truth? There are two ver- views of the Bible translation issue. We have it or we're working on it. We believe we have it. The word of God is preserved. Jesus said, verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. By the way, these, these people, they say, we do believe in the inspiration of scripture and we do believe it was preserved, inspired in the originals. You ask any one of them to show you an original. There are no originals. There were no originals like by the first century. It was copies of copies of copies of copies of copies and praise God, it's preserved for us. So what we preach, we preach Christ and we preach the word of God. Next, number two, where we preach. Where do we preach? Letter A, we preach in church. We preach in church. First Timothy 3.15 says, but if I tarry long, 
that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. One reason why we hold so firm as Baptists, as Bible believers to the word of God, every word, non-negotiable, every single word. There are no major doctrines. There are no minor doctrines. If God said it, it's major enough to stand by it. Here's why we do that. Because the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. And what is the truth? I already read the verse. Thy word is truth. This church should be surrounded and fenced in and built up and with, with embattlements defending against the word. And how do we do that? With the word, with the word, against the world by the word of God. You protect your family with the truth of the word of God. We protect our church with the truth of the word of God. I don't need a consensus with the area ministers. I don't need permission from denominational headquarters to know what I believe is right here in the word of God. And you're looking at a person that's very comfortable with that and very confident. And it doesn't, and I know you're on the same page, but it doesn't, it doesn't matter one rip to me who agrees and who doesn't, because I know I've found it. The truth right here, the word of God, the precious Holy Bible. So in the church, we preach. Now in the church, we fellowship, we pray, we praise, we give. But when we come together here at Calvary Baptist Church, as long as I'm the pastor at Calvary Baptist Church, there'll be no gathering where the word of God is not opened and expounded upon. In the book, Spurgeon the Pastor, it's a recent release, we see that Charles Spurgeon's conviction uh, in his ministry as pastor uh, was preaching was to be prime. And I'll read from the book here just a little bit. It really struck me recently. Spurgeon believed that preach, and by the way, Spurgeon was a Baptist pastor at Metropolitan Baptist Tabernacle in London many years ago. He believed that preaching shapes the church. Preaching is how a pastor leads and grows the church spiritually. The character and health of the church depend on the ministry of the word. Therefore, the strongest influence for spiritual growth in the church lay not with the deacons or Sunday school teachers, but with the preacher. Doubtless, he, he said, doubtless the hearers influence the preacher, but for the most part, the stronger current runs the other way. It goes on, Spurgeon saw, now listen, this is a long time ago. This is the 1800s. Spurgeon saw many negative examples of this principle in the churches of his day. Many of these churches had a historic ministry, but over the years, new pastors came in with modern theologies and new emphases. Inevitably, the pulpit was no longer central in these churches, And what preaching remained was characterized more by intellectualism and current events rather than the gospel. As a result, these churches began to wither spiritually. Are you listening? Are you listening here? Are you listening? Prayer meetings were canceled. Evangelistic fervor declined. Worldly entertainments crept into the church. This is over 200 years ago. Such churches might attract people with their innovations, but Spurgeon saw that the spiritual condition had changed. In all these things, he traced the root of these problems to the pulpit. This church must remain a fiery pulpit of preaching of the word of God. Now, we could get more people if I was a little more sensational, if somebody might say a little more relevant and a little cooler, and I could uh, dress down, and there's nothing wrong with, you know, if somebody wants to wear a collar, it doesn't matter, but, but they could do their very best to look at, well, how's that mega church doing it? And well, they really don't ever talk about sin, and they've got a full house, and shoo boy, look at those offerings. But, but here's where we're at. We're here to please the Lord. We're just here to please the Lord. We don't really care what men say other than reaching their soul. And if you reach their worldly appetites, you will not reach their soul. We are giving them something that the world cannot offer, and that is the bread of life right here. 
and we will preach, thus saith the Lord. Micaiah, in the Old Testament, he was prophet number 401. 400 prophets said, go up, go up. There was one man who said the truth and everybody hated him. John the Baptist was beheaded in prison because he just simply spoke the truth. And we have to get to the point where it doesn't matter what people think, we will speak the truth. We'll do it in love, we'll do it with grace, but we will speak the truth and hold to the truth. G. Campbell Morgan said, the supreme work of the Christian minister is the work of preaching. We preach in the church, but we also, letter B, we preach everywhere. And now we get to the one-on-one kind of preaching. Acts 8, verse 4, therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Jesus said, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Remember that eunuch said in the chariot this morning, we read in Acts chapter 8, Philip said, you understand Isaiah, what you're reading about this prophecy of Jesus? And he said, how can I except some man should guide me. I'm all for handing out tracts. I think I've made that clear. I'm all for encouraging videos. I'm all for door hangers. I'm all for all of those things. But it gets to the point eventually when somebody needs a preacher, as in a soul winner, to tell them about the gospel. To say, do you understand that you're a sinner? Do you understand that hell's a real place according to the scripture here? Do you understand that Christ died for your sins? Do you understand what faith is? Do you understand this? Will you, calling them to a decision, will you now accept Christ as your savior? People need a preacher. Your neighbor needs a preacher. Next week, we are having a missionary in, and he has a ministry uh, where he's off the field now. He's got a couple of uh, special needs kids, and his wife is has a chronic illness. He was a missionary to Argentina, and he still travels around. He does many things, and one of his ministries is an outreach ministry. He equips churches with the tools to have effective, organized outreach, and he is bringing us, and I've worked with him on the design, a six-by-eight map of the city of Shelby and the surrounding areas. There's about 9,700 doors, homes represented on there, and the map is big enough that you can about see each and every one. And my vision is to knock on every single one of those doors and have soul winners from Calvary Baptist Church give them a gospel invitation, and then if the Lord keeps that door open and you sense the Holy Spirit would have you, say, can I ask you a question? As important as church attendance is, it's not more important than knowing for sure you're going to heaven when you die. Can I ask you a question, sensing the open door there? If you were to die today, are you for sure that you'd go to heaven or do you know? And if they say, I don't know, you say, if you have a minute, I would love to show you from the Bible how you can know for sure you're going to heaven when we die. Now, why would we do that? Is it because we love going door to door? Is it because we love talking to people that we don't know? No, it's because we have the only hope for the world that there is the Lord Jesus Christ. And how shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they hear except they be sent? How beautiful are the feet of them that spread the good tidings of peace. That's us. The church is commanded to go into all the world and preach the gospel, not just to give money to missions, which I'm 100% for, but it is for you to preach the gospel to every creature. Now, you might not be able to go door to door, and I understand that. I really, really do understand that. And you might not be equipped yet. You might not be comfortable going through the gospel, but you can do something. You can pray. You can help us with something. There's many things. There's people you see at the grocery store, your doctor, those nurses. There are people you interact with, and they need the Lord. Who knows whether you maybe just might have that relationship with that specific person for the purpose of getting them the gospel. Because listen, that's why we're here. 
We can rail the Grammys against them and talk about how wicked the world is and Joe Biden and the godless Democrats and even the Republicans and all of that. But if you're not giving them the only hope that there is, then we have no right to complain. If you're not praying that God will give you fruit and fruit that remains, you have no right to complain. Kind of like if you never vote, you have no reason to complain about the politicians because you didn't vote, right? You had the opportunity. It's sort of like that. We can't complain about how wicked the world is if we're not doing our part to reach it because there is hope and he is the Lord Jesus Christ and he is preached from the word of God everywhere, everywhere, everywhere. How we preach, number three, how we preach in demonstration of the spirit and power. Can I tell you something? When you get a King James Bible in your hand, a little Soul Winner's New Testament or a track with those verses there on the back and you've got the Holy Spirit in your heart and you go out and you do a work for Jesus, there'll be more that don't listen than do. There'll be some that say this babbler, just like Acts 17, what will this babbler say? This loser, this Bible thumper, who does he think he is? Who are you to say this? There are people that call you bad names, but there will be some that believe. When you have that spirit, the Holy Spirit in your heart and you're surrendered to the Holy Spirit, you're yielded to the Holy Spirit and you have the word of God that the Holy Spirit can minister through and you say, Lord, lead me to a prepared heart. I'm a prepared vessel. I'm gonna be a preacher to minister the word of God to that person. You will, look in verse number six. These that have turned the world upside down. It is different when somebody gets saved. When the Lord enters somebody's life, it, he turns their life upside down. We're not a gospel-preaching church if you're not a gospel-preaching person. The church is, is the, the sum of the individuals. The church is just people. It's not this building, although I love this building. It's beautiful, but the church is you. And if you're not doing your part to get the gospel to your area, th- then we're not a gospel-preaching church. We're not, and we're in disobedience. I hope that's not the case here. And we have to preach in demonstration of the Spirit and power. First Corinthians 2, 4 says, my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom. And, and sometimes I will sit in my office and I will think, man, this is an uninteresting sermon. I have to think of a way, a hook to get it in people's minds. And, and I need a good illustration. I don't have a good opening illustration. I want to capture everybody's attention. And sometimes I wish it was better. I feel that way just about every time, but I have to remind myself that what I don't have the Holy Spirit can make up the difference because I'm not coming in enticing words of man's wisdom and, and, and trying to put up like a good illustration from the latest Hollywood movie so I can be relevant and quote some pop songs that somebody might know so I can look like I'm cool and you'll listen to me. No, no, no. None of that. I don't know anything save Jesus Christ and him crucified. I'm not coming in demonstration of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. The power comes from the Word of God. The Holy Spirit blesses the preaching of the word of God. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 21, for after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign, the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Unto the Jews a stumbling block, unto the Greeks foolishness, but unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. We preach in the spirit and power. And then finally, why we preach. Why do we do it? Now, I've alluded to, I think, every reason here, but here's why. Letter A, we're commanded. Because it's just flat a command. And for me, when I discern, okay, I'm settled, convinced what's right and wrong, what's the truth, that's good enough for me. Why do we do what we do? Because it's right. Why do I have this position? Because God said it. But that's where we have to start. 
Why do we preach the word of God? Why are we a Bible preaching church? Why do we preach to our friends and loved ones and neighbors? So win them because we're commanded. Second Timothy 4.2, preach the word. Jesus said everywhere, go everywhere. By the way, how could Jesus say to all generations to preach the word if he wasn't going to preserve it for us? So by the way, we preach the King James. So we're commanded. Why else? Because of the great need. Because of the great need. There's a great need. You look across Shelby, would you guys say in your school there's a great need for Jesus in that school? Yeah, that's a big, that's a big head nod. There's a, there's a big need. You look at homes in Shelby, you look at just individuals in Shelby, and Mansfield, Ontario, Plymouth, everywhere, 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 the whole, the whole nation, the whole state, but we're here. We're in Shelby. This is our Jerusalem. You know, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost part came last there. We can reach all of them simultaneously, but never neglect your Jerusalem, never neglect Shelby, Ohio. There's a great need. Paul looked at this city, Athens, great structures, amazing worldly wisdom and all of that. It was the best of the best is in this area. And yet he saw the whole city wholly given to idolatry, worshiping idols, worshiping fake things, worshiping fables, stories, those Greek gods and all that nonsense, just made up nonsense. And he was stirred within him and he preached unto them Jesus, and Jesus crucified. Why we preach, there's a great need. Though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. I preach because I'm commanded, because of the need, and then finally, because some will believe. Some will believe. Now, you might get 99, and this is, and I've done a lot of soul winning, door to door. And I, I think if I get one out of a hundred doors, that's a really good prospect. And that will listen to me for a while. I'm pretty happy about that day. I am. And I don't mind about the other 99 because I'm commanded. I'm commanded to go. I, I feel the blood is off my hands if I have given them the gospel. But you know, there'll be, there'll be some that believe. There will always be some that believe. These missionaries go to these far flung places where the name of Christ is not named and no gospel witness within miles and miles and miles. You have to do a trek to get there. And, and, and they have to teach them Adam and Eve. They have to teach them who is the true God. They have to go from the very beginning. What is sin? They've never heard of Jesus. But eventually, some do believe. Acts 17.4, some of them believed. Acts 17.12, therefore many of them believed. Acts 17.34, certain men clave unto him and believed. When I was five years old, I heard a preacher more fiery than me, preach about heaven and hell. And there were microphones on microphone stands that an ensemble had preached. And as he went around, he kicked them all down and the microphones would roll down. He was that kind of fiery preacher. Nothing wrong with that if there's meat on the bones to that message. And I went home that night and I was lying in bed and my mom and dad were about to tell me goodnight and dad flipped off the light and I said, daddy. He turned it on and I said, what? He said, what? And I said, I want to get saved. And so he came in, he showed me from the Bible. So the preacher preached, and then my dad preached one-on-one, showing me from the Bible. Mom was there too. And uh, I got saved because of the preaching. At 12 years old, I was in a National Sword of the Lord conference in Walkertown, North Carolina, and Bobby Robertson was moderating the conference and Shelton Smith, and I don't remember who was preaching, but it didn't matter. Uh, The Lord was working through the preaching And I felt the tug on my heart that God wanted me to be a preacher. Now, I wouldn't have gotten that from a commercial 
or a pamphlet or even from a good influence of a Christian. I can only get that from the preaching. From the preaching. I've heard many, many preachers since. I heard Sam Davison preach one time about Daniel and how he stood for the Lord and it was there that I decided how a preacher ought to live and the standards he ought to have. I remember that several years later at that same sword conference. And I've heard great preaching and preaching that has changed my life but I can't say that it was because the man was perfect or because he had a great technique, but it was the Holy Spirit of God was working through the preaching of the Word of God. God has given us the method. It is preaching. Now, you might think of a better way, but then it wouldn't be God's way, and so you wouldn't get God's results. God's given us the Word of God, filled us with the Spirit of God, and He's told us to preach the Word. We here at Calvary want to be a part of something that only God can do, so we will, by God's grace, continue to do it God's way and preach the word.